to by the Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey and thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast, the next step in the evolution of the world leader in goaltending, In Goal Magazine. I'm your host, Darren Millard, and today in episode 15, we assign Kevin Woodley the task of taking a deep dive into CCM's E-Flex 4 stick. It's the first in this line of equipment, we're talking sticks, that we've zeroed in on in In Goal Radio, the podcast. We also reach out to longtime NHL goaltender and a person that's on the path to becoming an NHL general manager. In fact, he's up for a job right now, depending on whether you're when you're listening to this. Sean Burke, he answers this week's listener question question. He's also going to be our feature guest uh, next week. Uh, the listener question deals with numbers and how to handle a year when the stats aren't quite where you'd like them to be. And this week's In Goal Radio, the podcast feature interview catches up with New Jersey Devils veteran Corey Schneider. He chatted with us on his way home from the rink after a skate as he prepares to play for Team USA at the World Hockey Championship. He's in a great spot right now after going through a real battle. Uh, that interview is with Kevin, who joins me from the In Goal studio on the lower mainland of BC. Uh, it's you and I today as David Hutchinson's on assignment. More on that in the weeks ahead. He's off doing goaltending stuff, and he's left us in charge, which is which is kind of scary because I've only screwed up a couple of things, and he'll be expecting a lot more work uh, with you and I doing the show. Oh, I mean, that serves him right for not being here, I figure, right? I know. Like, and, and the real question is without, you know, I mean, he's not that much older than us. That's a reality, but he's kind of like dad, right? So, yes. you know, can we behave for an entire episode without Hutch keeping us in line? I... I'm going to try, maybe. You're right. He's not that much older than us, but he is way more mature. He's he's our conscience. He he is our conscience. It's it's ridiculous, but we need him. You can call it maturity. He's not here, so I'll just call him old. <laughs> uh, looking forward to uh, what uh, what we've got on store today. Also, uh, looking forward to Tendy uh, Fest and uh, our, our main sponsor involved in, in that, but this is uh, this is going to be a first for me, and I cannot wait to get out there and see firsthand what you guys have been talking about. Yeah, May 26. Uh, it's going to be brought to you by the same people that bring you the Ingle Radio podcast, the hockey shop source for sports in Surrey, BC. Um, I've been going there for years. I'm lucky. They're in my backyard. Uh, they're the best at what they do, and that makes it a natural spot for me to go, whether it's the skate sharpening, uh, the massive selection. We've talked about the lower floor. The basement is entirely goaltending. Cam and his staff doing a great job. Uh, what I love about the hockey shop is it's guys that play the position, not just a bunch of high school kids who don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they're all goalie geeks like us, so when you go in there or when you check them out at thehockeyshop.com or drop them a line through thehockeyshop.com or through their email or call them, um, you're going to get a fellow goaltender on the line who has some ideas uh, about you know your game, how it might fit certain equipment. They've been there, done that, and they understand all the lines, and they've got them all in stock. Uh, what I love about May 26th this year, uh, Tendy Fest, I think this is the fourth annual one, so all that gear for you to try. Uh, and they've done a great job of kind of creating this giant goaltending festival. Uh, it's at Burnaby Eight Rinks. Uh, in Vancouver, we've met people that have driven from as far as Calgary, Seattle, up in the interior of, of uh, British Columbia, like the northern interior, Prince George. They all come down because for that day, you can take whatever it is. They, all the companies get on board. Warrior, Bauer has a huge fleet of demo gear. CCM brings out a fair bit. Brian's. Um, all these companies get on board so that goalies 
Rather, before they buy, they can try. And I mean, on the ice, stopping pucks, Hockey Shop brings out shooters from the upstairs department where, where they have experts in, in sticks and skates and all those things. Those boys all play as well. So they're all out there firing pucks, uh, running drills. And this year, uh, we're going to do a little live podcast, a little bit of a symposium, so to speak. I uh, got some special guests lined up. Some uh, some big names in the world of goaltending equipment are going to join us live uh, from Warrior. Uh, we have a concussion specialist, a guy that I've uh, grown, gotten to know, unfortunately, but fortunately, and Stefan Sigalet, brother of uh, Jordan Sigalet, uh, the goaltending coach of the Calgary Flames. He's going to be doing there, talking about sort of brain health and concussion concussion management. Um, Alex Ald is going to join us. Obviously, he we had him on the podcast, and he was fantastic. So many good stories there. He'll be there with CCM. Just a lot of good things. Uh, a great day. Uh, tons of different booths and demos and skates and everything you can imagine goaltending related is there on site. And like I said, the best part is you get your chance to try the gear. So it's May 26th, Burnaby 8 rinks. Make sure you keep an eye on our social channels uh, at thehockeyshop.com and all their social media channels for more updates as we get closer. Is it crazy around there that day? Uh, I think you end up with um, it was the first year I'll tell you it was crazy. Because somebody, uh, somehow there was a massive power outage at the rink. Uh, may or may not have been related to uh, a, a competitor sort of somehow getting the... Yeah, there's a story. No there. Yeah, that's that's the rumor. Anyways, we ended up in the parking lot for the first three or four hours for the dem- for sort of the setting up the demonstration stuff. But they finally got the ice going and they managed to make it go smooth. Um, but yeah, you end up with like four or 500 people in there during a day and um, that's a lot of goalies. And it's kind of cool. Everybody comes up and, you know, a lot of people, if they haven't heard of us, then shame on them, but we get to meet them. But a lot of people that have we've talked to over the years that have read our stuff, that we've shared emails with, that we've asked listener questions when we used to do our Ask a Pro written segments with the guys. Uh, really cool to kind of meet sort of all the people that that make up the in goal community uh, and also the hockey shop community and I guess in effect the goalie community from like I said as far away as like three four hundred miles coming down. You know, I've never done a try before you buy ever in in goaltending. Well, for the longest time it just wasn't an option, right? And um, increasingly it is, and and I give credit to places like the hockey shop for driving it, but I also give credit to the gear companies. Um, they're stocking these stores with more equipment. Um, you know, I mentioned Bauer to me, they've kind of driven a lot of this. They've been at the forefront of having a large fleet that they take across country. They stop in at different stores. They have a tour. Um, and they've really, like I said, loaded it up a lot of different options, a lot of different gear, uh, to try. And I think other companies are, are catching up to that. And it's good at the end of the day for the consumer, uh, to have that opportunity to take it on the ice. And, you know, it is such a unique position in that, not every piece of equipment fits every style of goaltender. So what we do in our reviews is try and relay that information. Not just here's what they say it is, but here how here's how it feels on your leg. Do you want to feel it connected at the shin or do you want a loose fitting pad? Well, this one's for you. This one's not. Um, but at the end of the day, there's nothing better than trying yourself. And that's what an event like Tendy Fest allows you to do. But uh, it'll be my first uh, go around in that. Uh, so Corey Schneider. Uh, what can you tell me uh, about your interactions with Schneider? Because you go back to his Vancouver days. Yeah, um, right back to I was covering the Canucks when he was drafted. Followed, you know, watched along at BC when he's at Boston College. And then 
obviously with the Manitoba Moose, some adjustments in his game that he made turning pro with Ian Clark. And then when Roly Melanson came in as the goaltending coach of the Vancouver Canucks, to me, that was one of the bigger changes. Like there was a lot of development in his game over those years, but Roly has a very um, firm system. Uh, I remember the first time I met him when we talked about it, Roly just said, there always has to be blue ice in front of our toes. Like he wants his guys contained. And that was a difference for Schneider. He was a guy who played a more active, dynamic game. There was backwards flow to it. I remember early in a couple of his call-ups, um, him getting beat on one-timers off the rush because he had taken so much ice on the puck carrier that he wasn't getting across on the sh- on the shooter after a pass got across. And, you know, that kind of was gone once Roley was there. He really simplified things for him. And, you know, Schneider's career took off. Now, it may have taken off the other way too, but those two seemed to really, and he talks about in the interview, the patients, they found a system that really worked well for Corey. And for the longest time, you know, one of the best goalies in the NHL statistically got stuck behind some guys. I mean, obviously the drama here, we never really had a chance to ask him how he handled it. But, you know, for my end, he handled it as well as I could imagine. Um, working with Roberto Luongo, taking everything the right way, pushing him, handling the both the pressure and the external questions that came with it. And then he did the same thing when he first got to New Jersey. Like people forget he goes from, you know, being a playing partner or playing alongside Luongo to playing alongside Marty Berdur at at the whole time looking like a guy who was ready to be the guy and having to sort of wait his you know wait patiently for that opportunity. And he battled through uh, a dip some injuries, some bumps, some bruises, some surgery, and uh, and uh, just an, a year that that just got away from everybody. And, and it's nice to see him back uh, enjoying it again. Yeah, and I think, you know, a couple things there. I, I, I don't think you can dismiss the role the injury played. Um, I know that, you know, they've kind of said that, yeah, I mean, he had hip surgery last summer. And there were issues leading up to that. And I know they've said they're unrelated, but I've yet to sort of see groin, nagging groin issues followed by hip surgery not be related. They're so intertwined. Um, so for him to finally be healthy, uh, and and obviously it was a struggle this year. And yet, I, you know, I remember doing you know some of my radio gigs where they're asking me about his game, and I'm like, because because the one year thing really started to become a focal point. It was a long time between wins, and I kept sort of, you know, as I mentioned in the interview with him today, I kept sort of in, in radio interviews saying like. You're like, guys, like th- this guy posted, I watched him in the against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He got a win there. You may not be counting that in the regular season, but he got a win against a pretty damn good team in the playoffs. And oh, by the way, he posted like a 950 in four games in that series, right? So it's not like he'd forgotten how to play goal, but it's amazing right. to me that, that the, the as he talks about, that you could go from being one of the best guys for so long and whether it's injuries how they creep into your game, how things can snowball the wrong way for you. And he talks about it. I thought he was great in this interview, sort of walking us through everything he went through. Well, he's going to have uh, plenty to chat about with his goalie partners in Slovakia, Thatcher Demko, who is where Schneider was a few years ago, cutting his teeth with Vancouver right now, and Montreal prospect and college uh, uh, product Caden Primo is also on Team USA. Schneider will see his Devils teammate, Mackenzie Blackwood, on Team Canada, who joins Carter Hart and Matt Murray in the Canadian crease. Schneider is the experienced guy on Team USA, Woody, and he will head to the tournament in the best place that he's really been in about a year and a half. Injury, hip surgery, a year between regular season wins, cleaned up by a really encouraging finish to a disappointing season uh, for the Devils. Uh, Things are on the upswing 
as we tee up Corey Schneider on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. This is going to seem odd that I'll start this off uh, in a direction that's not traditional, given the world championships are on the horizon, but how close did you get to Tiger at the Masters this year? <laughs> um, you know what, not as well, certain times we were pretty close. We, uh, we kind of followed them through uh, like the first few holes, two and three, and then uh, we kind of posted up. It's, it's weird at the Masters. You have to either lay a chair down at 7 a.m. and come back to it, or you kind of have to move around and, and get a grandstand spot, so... We pulled up at a grandstand at 13 for a while, and then we kind of followed him through 16. We almost watched him jar that par three, and then uh, we watched him tee off at 17. He kind of cruised right in front of us, which is cool. But by the time we got to 18, uh, it was like 30 deep up at the green, so we kind of had to watch from down below. So we saw that from afar, but a couple other guys in our group we got split up from, they were, uh, they were like pin high, about six or seven guys deep, and they said they were right there when he wanted, so they said it was pretty awesome. How many drink cups and uh, cheese sandwiches did you have? Uh, well, Saturday I collected a few cups. Sunday we were more into the golf, so we were really we were we were more locked in on Sunday than Saturday. And uh, you know what? I meant to get a I meant to get a cheese sandwich at some point. Like the last time I stopped, they were all out, so I never actually got one of those. Good for you. So, how how are you feeling right now? Uh, given that uh, the way your your season went and finished on such a high note, where where are you at? Overall, pretty good. Um, you know, I think that was part of the reason that, uh, you know, I was, I was interested in doing the world championships was to, uh, just play some more hockey. You know, the last, uh, you know, I would say starting in around new years of, of 2018. So the last, you know, uh, 18 months or so I haven't played as much hockey as I'm just accustomed to, or I haven't been accustomed to in the prior year. So for me, it's almost just like, like you said, just, just feeling good about my game and continuing that. And, and, uh, not stopping for five, six months and trying to pick it up again in the fall. So, um, you know, I saw this as an avenue to, um, you know, after a down year as a team and, you know, for me personally started the way it did and, you know, to, to play some high pressure games, to play some games with some meaning. And, um, you know, from what I can see with the guys who have committed, we got a really good team. So to play on a, a you know, hopefully a strong team and, um, you know, like I said, play some games that are, that mean something in some pressure situations, I think for me is, is something I need right now. So, uh, it's been a little weird. Obviously, it's a, it's almost a month between uh, you know when the season's going to end and when we're leaving. So you know that's that's sort of a, an awkward time, especially as a goalie. Just how much time you take off when you get back in the gym, when you get back on the ice, and it's hard to find uh, you know a lot of guys to get a practice or you know a game like situation. So, um, but I've been trying, you know, just get in shape and and seeing the puck and things like that, and hopefully we'll have enough time as a group once we get over there to to get some good practices in. It almost sounds like, Corey, like a little bit of like a training camp leading into training camp. So who are you working out with? What are you doing? And I guess, you know, more for other young goalies that can maybe relate because their season ends and then they get this gap and then all of a sudden there's spring teams or tryouts for next year's team and they haven't been on the ice that much. What do you focus on to try and get as close as you can to that feel you need heading into more competitive situation? What's, uh, what's the focal point when you get on the ice? Yeah, I think initially it's it's just kind of conditioning. It's just getting your legs and your cardio back to the point where, um, you know, you can play a 60-minute game or kill a two-minute power play in, in your end, something like that. So, um, you know, you can never quite recreate a game, but uh, I think that's something you can absolutely control whether you have shooters or not. It's, it's uh, you know, for me, I was in the gym first, so I did about a week of, of workouts just to get my body moving and, uh, and you know, back used to the shock of, of doing it. 
And then for me now, it's, you know, I have a couple shooters. There's a couple guys in the rink working out. So they've offered, they've come out in jumpsuits and skates and just done some shooting. But, um, you know, for me, like I said, it's more about getting your footwork back, your crease movements, uh, you know, just being comfortable going from spot to spot and getting set and seeing it. Um, Cause again, with, you know, two, three guys, it's hard to simulate line rushes and two on ones or, you know, that kind of stuff. So a lot of it's net play and, um, you know, more you put the work in, uh, whether it's footwork patterns, um, you know, expanding on that, you know, where you start with two movements, and then you bring in a third movement, and then you bring in a post integration, things like that. So uh, you make the drill harder on yourself, but the shooter still stays still and is doing, you know, doing his thing. So it's, it's kind of up to you, like I said, to progress the drills and make them more demanding, uh, you know, physically and cardio wise, but also to get that movement in the footwork to hit your spots and, and kind of, like I said, just, just move around the crease a little bit and feel comfortable in, in all your, all your angles. Whether it's summer training or in the season working one-on-one with a goalie coach, it never ceases to amaze me just how much of it is crease movement and patterns and footwork and all those things that you talked about. I think there's a lesson there for young goalies too. Like if I told 12-year-old Corey Schneider that you know, being when he was a pro, he's going to spend this much time working on crease movement, what, what would have been the response? Do you think kids could learn from this? I probably wouldn't know what you're talking about. I was barely butterflying at 12 years old. You know, that's, that's how far back I go is that that was, that was just coming into vogue and becoming a thing. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, it, it's all repetition and muscle memory, at least for me. I think when, uh, when you feel good about, you know, hitting your spots, you feel comfortable at the depth you're at, whether it's, you know, however deep you like to play, whether it's on top of the crease, out just outside the crease, uh, middle crease, I think, um, you know, you got to feel comfortable in those spots because that's where you're going to want to get to in the game. And, you know, obviously the game will maybe dictate how, how far out you come. But I think, you know, in a standard, you know, if you're in zone or power play or, um, you know, things like that, that you have to feel comfortable getting to where you want to get and making the save. Because if you think you're too deep or you think you're too aggressive and you expose yourself, um, then you start second guessing or you start uh, overthinking it a little bit. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's like I said, it's a lot of hours and repetitions where it's just once you get into that game, it's automatic. And um, I think the last thing you want to be thinking about is your footwork and where are my feet, where am I in my crease, uh, all right, how much room am I giving up? I think once you get in the game, you need to focus on seeing the puck and stopping it and, and reacting at that point. So, uh, like I said, if you if you put a lot of the work in beforehand, it'll, it'll make uh, once you get into those situations a little bit easier to – to read and process and just, you know, less to think about while everything's going on around you. You talked about that strong finish, Corey, to the season. Um, you know, and we talk about technical and the footwork and I've seen you put the work in and that never stops. What was the biggest challenge of, of sort of the year leading up to that strong finish? It wasn't the easiest one for you. And I think a lot of people watched and there was a lot of attention on it from the outside and just probably couldn't imagine what it was like to go through. What was the toughest part? And there's that old cliche about what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. How'd you come out on the other side? And do you come out on the other side feeling better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you, you can break it down in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, technical, physical, mental, whichever component you want to sort of uh, look at. You know, obviously, I think all three were, were lacking in, in the beginning of the year, just, uh, for, you know, for various reasons, or if one fed into the other, or, you know, it, I haven't tried to think about that too much, but um, for me, it was more just about, I think, just believing in my game and myself and, and getting that confidence back. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we all talk about goaltenders and, you know, confidence is a big thing and it's, it's hard to quantify or identify. You know, you kind of know when you have it or you see it, but it's simply, it's easy to say like, well, I'll just play more confidently. It's like, well, if I, if my footwork feels floppy and 
I'm not tracking the puck and, you know, I feel small in the net. It's hard to feel confident. So I think they all, um, I think they all kind of go hand in hand a little bit. So I think for me, it was just, just uh, believing in my process and believing in myself and, you know, you know, physically, you, you know, I probably wasn't quite the same early in the year coming off the hip surgery and uh, maybe start to, you know, think that things aren't as are things don't seem as easy all of a sudden they seem a little bit harder and why can't I do this I used to be able to do this and now your confidence starts to wane and I think for me it was just rebuilding my game a little bit while I was uh, out again there around Christmas time uh you know I think uh tech from a technical standpoint it was for me I think the big thing was holding my feet I think when I hold my feet and I'm getting to my spots on my feet and turning them and not just sliding or, or you know going down early and sort of giving up um I think I'm a different goalie so for me it was just believing in that, that I can get there. Like, okay, you know, I can get from A to B in a hurry and make a save and I don't need to slide or be late or things like that. And I think that just sort of started breeding some confidence again in my game where, okay, you know, now I'm square, I'm upright, I'm big. And, uh, you know, more saves start to happen. And then you start to feel just, all right, you know, here's a great A chance, but I'm going to make the save. And um, so I think, again, I think it was, you know, some technique, some physical that sort of, uh, you know, just fed into my confidence that said, hey, this is what I've been doing and uh, doing at a high level for a long time. And this feels normal again to me. And I think that goes a long way. Funny that we started our conversation about golf because I always hated this when I covered the PGA Tour, asking a golfer a question about his game that wasn't perceived to be totally positive because you get that glare. But what, what was the low, what was the low point? Do you remember what the bottom point was? Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not something I've tried to dwell on too much. You know, every game I felt pretty good going into, and then uh, whether it was a bad start or a bad goal or, you know, maybe a late flurry where they added a couple at the end, it just seemed like nothing was uh, was working or nothing was going right. And, you know, you can't just go out there and, and hope things go your way. That's not how it works. Like, you have to play well and, and make saves, and that's that's the biggest part of it. But, um, you know, it was probably the last game I played before I kind of went on the injured list again there in December where – I gave up three goals and, you know, seven or eight minutes to Vegas. And, um, you know, the last one just kind of hit my club and hit my mask and hit my stick and rolled in. And it was a sort of, I haven't even looked at that goal since because honestly, I don't think I could do that again if I tried. Yeah. It'd be impossible to replicate that. Right. It was just sort of a summation of, of, you know, where I was at in terms of my game and, and, uh, you know, what had been happening. It was just sort of a culmination of, of kind of all the bad things that had happened that fall. So, um, you know, I, I mean, clearly I was, I was finally, you know, just fed up and frustrated and, um, you know, it was tough. It was hard and, uh, everyone around me was great. You know, I think, uh, that was a big thing for this whole process was I had a lot of people supporting me and, um, just believing in me and, and, uh, you know, we took some time physically and technique wise, and I think it, it paid dividends, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough moment for sure. And, you know, I'm harder on myself than anybody else. So, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not on social media. I don't have Twitter and Instagram. I'm, you know, private, so I don't really follow anything. And um, so, I, you know, I, I really don't pay attention to what's being said outside. I mean, you know, obviously stuff is being said and that's fine. That's how the world works. But, uh, you know, I was really confined to my just sort of my personal circle of, of friends and coaches and family and, and teammates and, and everyone in that circle was just extremely positive and, um, you know, just wanted me to, to be the old me. And I think that that helped a lot as I really fed off that and, um, just try to, like I said, stay positive and, you know, understand that, uh, well, this part of my life isn't going the way I want it to. Uh, you know, I need to focus on the other parts of my life and make sure that they're they're strong and that they're positive and that that'll circle back into the professional part of it. Well, I was going to say, in terms of outside influences and, and voices and what people are saying, I think the one thing that 
frustrated me most was hearing all the references to how long it had been since a win. And I'm like, do the playoffs not count? I'm like, I, I watched this guy against Tampa <laughs> Bay. I watched him get a win. I watched him post like consistent, like I think like 950 for the series for crying out loud. And I'm like, it's not like this guy forgot how to play golf. So uh, it was, you know, it was kind of interesting to watch that from afar and, and, and know you and know your dedication to the game and your game and kind of see all that. Um, what, as you figured out patience, you talked about holding your edges and patience being a key, almost like golf. How hard is it to sort of, were there triggers that allowed you to rediscover that confidence? Things you and Roly did in practice where it's like, this is a drill for me that helps me feel good about my patience or anything, or, or was it as much mental as it was that work? Yeah, it was a little bit of both because I think once you, you know, you sort of start, like I said, believing in, in your game and, and uh, your abilities and saying, okay, like I know I can do this. And, uh, you know, it starts in practice. So it starts with, you know, challenging yourself and, and really just over, almost over, you know, uh, stimulating. All right, you know, don't even go down here. Just hold your feet, hold your feet. Even though if it goes in, like just just worry about doing the drill right and, and you know, the purpose of the drill. And I think, you know, it took a little while to do that. And another guy, you know, was obviously Rolly has been big. And another guy who was really big was Scott Clemenson. Uh, you know, I went to Binghamton a couple times and, and he was there with me. And then uh, I think we were on a road trip and Rolly was gone and Scott came up. And, um, you know, I know him from, you know, Boston College. We've had a long relationship. And, um, you know, he was really positive. He was really, you know, that's his attitude and his uh, his ethos kind of is he's very positive and supportive. And, um, you know, we did a lot of video work, which I've never really done, you know, the iPad on the ice. I know that's kind of big these days. And, um, you know, I've never really done that train with that. You know, I've, I've done video of my games and such, but, um, never like on ice in practice with the iPad, just making comparisons. So it was good to see. It was almost like to visualize, all right, this is what the puck's seeing. Like, you know, how do you feel? I'm like, oh, well, I didn't realize that I was either that far off or, you know, looked that small or, you know, I went down that early. So, uh, it was a lot of little things like that between Roley and Scott that just, um, I think, again, you see it, you visualize it, and then you kind of picture, okay, this is how I'm supposed to look. And I, and it matches what I, what I feel. And, um, and, you know, you, you know, you referenced the, the, the wind thing and um, yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously there and I, you know, you can't ignore it or you can't hide from it and pretend like it's not there. But, you know, for me, it was more about my game. You know, if I won a game six, five, and I still felt terrible. Yes. Getting the win is what matters and that's important, but, you know, I don't think I would have felt any better about my game if, if that was the case. And, you know, I lost, a, I did lose a few games, 3-2 or 2-1, where I felt like I played okay, but you get the loss. And so, you know, you're supposed to feel bad about how you played. And, and so, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's about the wins. But uh, for me, at that point, I think it was more about, all right, is this sustainable? Is this the way I, I need to feel and how I should feel? And, like, can I continue this consistently? And I think for me, it was just really inconsistent in terms of, uh, you know, how I was performing. So I think that was the hardest part for me, you know, the wins and losses, um, you know, that, those matter. But I think for me, again, at that point, it was just more about how I felt about what I was doing. Fascinated to hear you talk about the iPad, Corey, because I've, you know, I've seen that in the summers with some coaches. I've often wondered, I mean, it, again, to go back to golf, I mean, the way a golfer swing is broken down biomechanically uh, in this day and age you know, for a lot of coaches, or at least some goalie coaches, there's an equivalency there to hockey. They, they do do it to that degree, and yet I don't see as much of it in the NHL, and I always wondered, and most of the times the answer was we don't want them thinking to that level. So having been through both sides of it, like where do you come out on the balance using it as a tool? Could it be too much at other times? Is it a matter of picking the right spot? Um, you know, as a guy who's been through both sides of it, you know, how do you come out thinking about iPads and looking at your game that way compared to what you used to do? 
you know, I think there's a place for it. I think uh, anything you can use to your advantage, any tool and resource, you know, I think you should try. And whether you use it or not is up to you or how you use it. Um, you know, I've always been open to new thoughts and theories and trying to and give them an honest shot. But if it doesn't work for me in my game, then, you know, I'm not necessarily going to do it just to do it. But if it does, you might incorporate new things. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a mix because I think, you know, while golf is a very technical game, um, you know, they do have some feel to it. Certain guys swing and they have a feel to their swing. They know what works. And same as goalies. I think if you're too technical and too robotic and you're sort of saying, okay, well, I need to be here and then this needs to happen and that needs to happen. Um, I think you will bog down because I think it is such a reactionary position that uh, at some point, sometimes you have to abandon all your technique uh, just to make the save. So again, I think it is useful, especially as teaching or if you're developing or if something feels off. Um, but again, I, you know, you know, I think we're sort of in an era where there's a lot of a lot of young goalies who are impressive and they're they're big and they're athletic and um, you know they look fantastic. But a lot of the drills are A to B, B to C shot or A to B shot. You know, everything's very scripted and technical. And and then all of a sudden you get into the game and you got to make reads. You have to anticipate. You have to think the game at a high level and maybe do think, do something unconventional to make a save. And I think you know that's where you might draw the line and say, okay, well it's up to a point. And then from there, you got to have the instincts. You got to have the, the competitiveness. You got to have the smarts to diagnose the play and, and figure out what's going to happen before it happens. And I think that's kind of where you, because again, I, I do camps and I watch young goalies and I'm like, these guys all look like specimen. They all look great, like prototypical goalies, like better than I looked. And then you ask, Oh, well, how are they in the games? Like, eh, you know, they're okay in the games because they don't, you know, they're, they're almost too technical. So that's something that I haven't seen enough because I don't watch enough young goalies, but, you know, even even in the NHL, you know, it's there's been a bit of a, a gap, I think, between, you know, guys, of, I think probably my generation around my age, you know, the 80, you know, 84 birth year to 88, you know, the Rask, Price, Crawfords, uh, myself, Bishop, uh, Quick, you know, you look at that era, we've been in the league for a long time. And, um, you know, you're sort of waiting for that next wave of guys to come through. And I think, uh, you know, obviously guys like Hellebuck and Gibson and you know, Holpe's on the older end of that. He's probably closer to my my generation. But um, I think finally this year you're starting to see some of these guys break through, guys like Bennington and, um, you know, some other guys around the league. I'm, I'm just drawing a blank on a few of them. But um, guys who are finally starting to, you know, emerge and, and become that next wave of goalies that's going to follow up because, you know, a lot of us are in our early to mid-30s, late-30s if you're Rene and, um, you know, Cam Wards and, and Longo's toward the end and, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, Ryan Miller, those guys. So, you know, you're going to have to start filling a lot of spots here pretty soon. And I think, you know, we're finally starting to see that next wave of goalies emerge, which I think there was a bit of a gap there. That Blackwood kid looked okay too. Yeah. He's, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he really impressed me this year. He took a big step, I think even from the fall. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You see these guys, this guy's built like a linebacker. He's six, three and two twenty five, And, um, but he moves, you know, he's flexible and he moves and he powers this like, Man, if they're making goalies like this these days, I don't know what kind of chance the rest of us have. Well, you, you say you uh, draw a mental blank, but you you listed off three quarters of the league, so you did a pretty good job uh, running through the goaltenders. Uh, we, we we put up that uh, we were going to have you on the In Goal Radio podcast, and uh, a lot of viewer uh, feedback, listener feedback, uh, Woody, uh, a lot of it dealt with gear. Yeah, and this is a conversation we've had over the uh, years, Corey. Lots of questions, and we've talked about it, some a little behind the scenes and off the record, some on the record, but... You know, the switch last year to go into the playoffs, you switched to CCM pads and back to Vaughn this year. Um, I know there's been games where you've worn a pair of skates into the game and then never again. 
how important is how important is gear to your comfort level and and talk about some of those adjustments back and forth you know especially in this past year because i think i think they got a lot of focus in part because of everything else that was going on yeah for sure and and i mean you know me in the sense that like i've never been a huge gearhead like i probably couldn't tell you what model pad i'm wearing or what number of you know what series glove i have or the mask model you know i don't even know that stuff i just have been all right, make me this, or, you know, give me what I've had, except make an adjustment or two or whatever. So, you know, I, I get that sometimes when I would do camps, kids would come up and be like, Oh, is that the series three premiere? And I'm like, I, I don't know. You tell me <laughs> kids know more than I do. So, um, but you know, I, I've always felt, uh, you have to be comfortable with what you wear. And I think I learned early on, I think my agent actually, Mike Liu told me this when I was breaking in in Vancouver, cause it was oh well, Vaughn wants to sign me to a deal or CCM wants me to sign a deal. And, he just said, look, you're going to make a lot more money stopping hockey pucks than you will wearing equipment. So, you know, whatever works for you and feels comfortable and, you know, stops the pucks the best. Because the worst is, you know, the last thing you want to do is get six games into the season and all of a sudden you hate the glove and you can't get out of it because you sign a contract or you feel obligated to wear it. And I think that's sort of been my, my mantra. Like, I'm, I'm a bit of a mutt. You know, I have Bauer skates, Vaughn pads, CCM gloves, Warrior stick. Yeah, I got everything. So... For me, it was more just finding what I like and what was comfortable. And, you know, I don't really care if it matches or not or if it's the same company. And, um, you know, I I obviously am pretty in tune with my equipment in terms of, like, how I break it in and how it feels. Um, and, same, you know, and I think part of my problem was I just, you know, I kept everything the same for so long. You know, like, I think the gear has made a huge leap technologically in the last 10 years since I came in the league. And for me, it's, you know, okay, well, I'm still wearing the old cowling skates, like, can I gain a half second or a split second laterally if I have lighter skates on, less weight? You know, in my pads, my pads are heavier. Can I lighten them up and, and be quicker? Um, things like that. So, you know, I switched to the one-piece stick, which I never thought I would do. So part of it, I think, last year especially was trying to adapt a little bit. Like, all right, maybe I need to try something new, especially when you're in a slump or things aren't working out to that extent. Um, you know, I think part of getting older is evolving and, you know, not thinking that you have all the answers all the time because when things don't go well, um, you might need to change. And I think as you get older, sometimes that's harder because you've been doing the same things for so long in a certain way that it's, uh, you sort of get stuck in it. So for me, I think part of that switch was like, all right, what do I have to lose? You know, I haven't won in a while. We're going to the playoffs. Like, let's just try something different. And it, it worked out. And, um, you know, I came into the season and, and it just didn't quite feel comfortable or, uh, you know, the same way it did the year before. And I, you know, fell back to what I knew. So, you know, it goes hand in hand. Like I said, I try to stay pretty consistent with it. And, um, you know, I, I'm always amazed that guys can, you know, just switch head to toe, like mid season. I've seen some guys do it. And I'm just shocked. Um, because for me, that's, it's such a feel thing that, um, you know, you don't know how pads are going to break in or you wear the pads once and they feel uncomfortable. It's like, well, yeah, of course they're brand new. You know, how about three weeks later, once you soften them up a bit and you get used to them. So sometimes you just don't have the time or patience to, to work in gear or try something different. But I think the off season or, you know, when you're practicing a lot, that's a time where you might be able to mess around and say, okay, let's see how this feels. Coming to the end of our time with you, but just a comment on behalf of goalie parents everywhere. Uh, you call it being a mutt, but so many kids want to be head-to-toe in the same gear, and parents just can't afford to buy that whole set at, at one shot. So wearing the different manufacturers actually is a great message to kids everywhere that, that you can wear different gear. So just a, just a comment on that, that uh, that's appreciated by goalie parents uh, everywhere. <laughs> Well, glad I could help because, again, growing up, I was the same way. You know, I, I grew yeah. at a different rate, so I needed, needed new pads at a different time. I needed a new chest and new gloves. And, you know, right. like I said, I always went with what felt good. I didn't really care if it matched or how I looked. And 
you know, like I said, I was kind of a funky looking goalie probably when I was younger because all my gear was mishmash, but uh, it worked. That's all I cared about. I think there's another piece of advice you could probably pass along for for goalie parents as well. And we kind of started off the top. You said you you know you weren't really playing much at 12 or 13. You I remember you talking, telling me about being a back catcher, playing baseball. How important do you think it is? having played all those other sports and would that be one of the pieces of advice? Cause we got a lot of questions about what advice would you give to young goalies? And I wonder how much of it would be, don't just be a young goalie. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, again, maybe I'm biased and, and, uh, you know, I'm obviously older now and I, you know, I don't always know how things work at younger levels with camps and, um, teams. And, you know, for me, it, the biggest thing is, is number one is it's, um, you got to find a way to play games. You know, it's, you know, I have kids come up to me and say, well, I'm the number three on this team and I'm the number two on that team, but they're really good teams. And, um, you know, how do I get better? And I think for me, the only way as a goalie, you're going to develop your, your sense of the play and your uh, anticipation, your reasons to play the game. So whether you're on a good team or a bad team, you know, I think part of my thing growing up was I was always on like average to below teams. I never played on like the juggernaut that won every game, six, nothing. Um, you know, I had an offer one time to play like in Metro when I was 13 and the team went 39 and zero and, the goalie didn't do anything. I said, no, I don't want to do that. Like, that sounds boring. Um, so I always would try to search out teams where, um, you know, I'd get a lot of action, a lot of shots and, you know, have to have to play well. And I think that was good. And so that's my advice to some kids is don't necessarily, you know, try to go for the, the hardest job all the time. If you're going to be the number three guy, I go somewhere where you're going to play and, and get that exposure. And um, similarly, like you said, you know, I played soccer and baseball and hockey growing up. And it wasn't until I hit 12 or 13 where I really started playing in the summers and doing tournaments and camps. And, um, you know, and I think it's huge. You know, I, I, I you know, I work closely with Brian Decord, who um, Kevin, you guys, you guys might know him obviously back in Boston. And, um, you know, we talk a lot and, and he sort of, you know, confides in me. He's like, I see kids at 14 and getting double labrum surgery or, you know, 18 who've been butterflying since they were six and their hips are shot or their knees are shot or, you know, and I think that's obviously a big problem right now is the sports specificity where, you know, parents get their kids into one sport at age six or seven and they just, you know, play year round and their private lessons and they're this and that. Not everybody. I know it's not every kid and it's not a generalization, but you hear a lot about that because they want them to be the best at that sport. And uh, for me, I think it's, you know, you need to move your body in different ways. You know, I think baseball helped me a lot with hand-eye coordination and timing and um, soccer just to stretch your legs out and run and do something different for a while instead of just kind of confining your body to the same motions over and over again because I do think that'll eventually wear you out and break you down or you become sick of the game because I think part of it is you want to you want to be fun you want every time you come to the rink to be fresh and you don't want to be run down especially at a young age because then that's when you sort of lose your passion for it or you get frustrated at it so um yeah I mean my advice again this is from you know 20 years ago now but growing up was uh, I had a great time doing other things and meeting other people and just experiencing different sports and competitiveness and I think it you know it all factors in at some point but you know, I think if you're a good athlete and, you know, that's more important than being necessarily, a, you know, a good goalie or a good hockey player. Well, you mentioned the hip surgery and we had quite a few questions about that, about how you came back from that, the process. We had Eddie Lack on, uh, I think, three or four episodes ago talking about going through the same thing. Did you, I know Brian's also at the forefront of this. Like he's one of the guys that's really trying to push this conversation. And I think appropriately so about, you know, how do we change training to help goaltenders? Have, have you had to change anything? Have you you know, done anything differently? Are there more crease patterns that don't end in a butterfly these days than there were before? Like has, has your mindset or approach changed at all when it comes to hip surgery, having been through it or talking with Brian about some of the ways we can maybe help ease the burden on these young goaltenders? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm pretty fresh off of it, and, and my on ice stuff, obviously, being wary of it, or you know, during the rehab process was different. But I think now, you know, for me, it's more just time off the ice versus time on the ice. As you get older, it's um, you know, your body just mess, can't necessarily take the beating of uh, of butterflying every single day, or you know, doing that. So it's more about you know management on, on that. And for me, the biggest adjustment's been off the ice. Um, you know, you train a certain way your whole life, and now again. Um, you know, I need to focus more on my, on my lower abdomen and core and my, my glutes. And, um, you know, those sort of things are what's going to keep my hips strong and my groin strong. It's not necessarily strengthening your groins as part of it, but it's more, I think, stabilizing the area around those that are, are what's going to take a lot of the load off. Cause you know, I've found, you know, being 30 and playing in the NHL that, you know, I had really weak glute strength and it's just sort of, you know, I'm very quad and thigh dominant cause you're in that squat a lot, but I discovered, especially coming up with the surgery, like, wow, you, you know, I really need to strengthen this area. I never knew it because I got away with it until something starts to form or show up or you start feeling something. And um, so for me, it's been more about the off-ice training is, is going to be a lot different, more you know, like Pilates and, and uh, lower impact stuff. You know, I don't necessarily need to bench press 225 pounds or squat 500 pounds. I just need to make sure that uh, all those things that are going to help control my descent into a butterfly or, you know, opening my hips and closing them when I T-push, like, those are the things that uh, I need to work on and strengthen. So I protect myself versus, um, you know, trying to lift, lift out of the gym and move all the weight and things like that. Last one, I promise. And you're used to this from having dealt with me in Vancouver, all those years going long, going longer, <laughs> going longer than we promised. We yeah. got, we got a lot of no questions, problem. Corey, about uh, how to stay focused in a game. And I can't list all the different people that wanted to know how you do it, but I wanted to go back to something that I remember from 2010, your NHL debut, spotted in your blocker back in the day it was two pieces of masking tape and uh some felt pen <laughs> but the words were don't fear failure compete 100 percent, enjoy the process play for others is that still what's in the inside cuff of your blocker does that still serve as a reset for you on the ice <laughs> how do you stay focused from start to yeah. finish in an nhl game these days yeah, it's still there. And, uh, you know, now that I've kind of made it and been in the league a while, they actually embroidered for me. So that's nice. I don't have to write it on my own or do my own tape. <laughs> nice. It looks a little bit nicer. Um, so that's good. But, um, you know, what? I, I still have it there. And, and every now and then I might take a peek. But honestly, I, you know, it's it's more of just a reminder and, and something that's been there. Um, for me now, it's it's uh, it's more about, you know, and people say it a lot. And, it, it, you know, it kind of has meaning to different people. But just staying in the moment. It's, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think, anxiety is, is, is thinking about what's going to happen and depression is thinking about what has happened. And I think if you get caught in either one of those, you kind of can set yourself off, uh, you know, a mental path that, uh, takes away from what's happening in the present. And, uh, you know, I, I, I found that any tool I can to, to keep myself in the moment, it's, it, you know, one thing I've, I've talked about a lot, it's, it's breaking the game down into five minute segments. I think if you think of the game as a 60 minute game, it's daunting you sit there and you think about all the things that could happen or go wrong in a 60 minute game at the NHL level. And you're like, man, this could be a long night. So you, you got to stay away from that. I, you know, for me, it's all right. Uh, first save in the first five minutes, that's, that's the most important thing right now. And then once you get through that, you sort of reset and say, okay, now I need to get through this five minutes and figure out what's, what I need to do to navigate this five and make the next save. Um, and for me too, it's, you know, there, there are certain moments of the game as you play more, you understand, okay, the, a power play at the end of the first period this is the momentum moment. You know, if they get one on the power play going into the intermission, that's a big deal. So for me, it's like, can I, can I elevate here and bear down for two minutes and not let them get one here? Or, 
you know, I find that the, the first five minutes of the second period can always be a little hairy. You know, everyone, you felt, you felt each other out in the first, now you've changed ends. Like, you know, maybe there's a bad line change early because someone's not paying attention or there's a turnover or, you know, whatever. So the first five minutes of the second period is key because that's where, you know, you can give one back. So it's kind of navigating your way through the game and, and just breaking the game down into smaller increments that makes it more manageable. And, um, you know, a lot of it's breathing, breathing techniques, you know, if your anxiety or you're starting to get a little nervous or, um, you know, the game's picking up pace and it's picking up momentum and all of a sudden it's, you know, in the second or the game, the game ramps up, the game doesn't usually tail off, you know, it gets harder as it goes. So, um, just breathing and, and, uh, you know, centering yourself and staying focused to, to withstand and handle uh, what's to come, I think has been really important for me as well. So everyone has their own techniques and, and things, but I think for me, again, those are uh, more of what I focus on these days than maybe when I was younger where, you know, you don't, I think you sometimes are less aware. You're just young and you go play and yeah, there's pressure, but I think you're almost naive to it. But as you get older and you understand what's at stake and um, you know what it means, I think you just sort of have to take a different approach. I was studio host for a national game a couple of years ago. During a TV timeout, we had the camera zoom in on you. You were doing these eye exercises. You were, you were moving your eyeballs around. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, uh, I probably. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I treat I, the eyes are a muscle. You know, I treat yeah. you know your eyeballs, are, you know, the muscles that control your eyes. Like those are those are muscles, just like anything else. So for me, um, sometimes I try to work them. You know, physically, just kind of rubbing the corners of my eyes or above my eyes, and just trying to loosen them up and. Um, you know, and, and then like you saw, you know, stretching your eyes, I guess, just sort of yeah. moving them around and, and getting to your peripherals because you use your peripherals so much. And, um, when you need to make a quick save, like you're looking for a split second out of the corner of your eye until you find it and focus. So, uh, it was probably something to do with that. Just sort of moving your eyes around to, to keep them active and focused. And so, especially in a game, maybe you're not doing a whole lot or, uh, you haven't seen a lot of pucks or, you know, you feel like you're not tracking it sometimes. It just, for me, it helps just kind of get your eyes activated and moving them around a little bit. Uh, okay, Woody knows way more about goaltending than than I will ever know. He's a savant, but uh, can you tell him it's it's a catcher, not back catcher? <laughs> What's oh, a, a catcher? You mean, yeah, a, yeah. you mean your glove? You know the baseball, baseball. He said you were a back catcher. I mean, I got yelled. At oh yeah, yeah, that's a catcher. Yeah, 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 back catcher. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, back. I, I, yeah, right. Yeah, for me, Boston guy, we called it catcher. Backstop, yeah. maybe. Woody. You all know the ironic thing is like baseball was my sport and played it almost right up until JUCO. So this is probably <laughs> probably a little embarrassing at this point. I'm gonna I'm gonna hear about this one now. Thanks for thanks for pointing it out, Darren. <laughs> hey, uh, you. Uh, I you thought it was a, I thought it was a, I was a Canadian term, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you, uh, that. You got to see Tiger uh, up up close, and uh, and uh, he's changed his stripes, and you're going to don the stripes yourself at the World Championships, and we wish you nothing but the best. Uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, great job, uh, and you've taught us all about perseverance. <laughs> you got it, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Corey. Interesting conversation because it's when you, when you really want to talk about great things, but you have to deal with with the lows. It I, I feel bad, uh, but he he handled it uh, in in a positive way, and you could tell how much he's really looking for. Didn't dismiss it, acknowledged uh, acknowledged the low, but you can tell in his voice that that he's really in a much better place. Well, and if you watched him down the stretch, it was old Corey Schneider, right? Like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but. You know, there was a stretch to finish the season where he was back to that guy that we talked about, sort of, you know, having like some of the best career numbers, 920 plus save percentage, 
um, those kind of numbers behind a team, frankly, in New Jersey that can be tough on goaltenders. So um, when you watched him play, like I said, it just, to me, it was the old Corey and he talked about that and uh, having gotten to know him and, and really enjoyed the conversations I've had over the years with him, like that one, you know, we don't cheer as, as journalists, we're supposed to be objective yeah. observers. We don't cheer. I've always said, I, I don't cheer for teams. I cheer for people and I cheer for good stories. And Corey's a good person and he's crafting a good story for all the negative attention he received. Uh, he really looks like he's back and I'm really looking forward to watching him, not just in the world championships, but with the devils moving forward. Woody, I, I was amazed how many people uh, sent in notes on the Instagram feed about uh, Corey's gear and yeah. switching gear. Like, there, if Corey's not a gear geek, uh, we certainly have enough of them to, to follow our show and, and the uh, the Instagram feed because people are just captivated by it. Well, and I think that you know he was kind of as he said he called himself a mutt, and I remember that him giving me that line years ago when I asked him because you know it's it's changing a little bit, um, but especially you know a little while ago. There's a fair bit of money there for 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 guys to wear specific brands and be head to toe a certain equipment. Um, and he always told me, "I will make more money stopping pucks as a mutt than I will to wear just one brand, and I have to be comfortable." And so I think the fact he went through his whole career like that when he did switch to the CCM pads late last season, and like I said, like he was in CCM pads for the first time in the playoffs when he posted the 950 against Tampa Bay. So it's not like there was an issue there. He was playing really well. Um, it raised a lot of eyebrows because he'd been well, so didn't loyal. Didn't he have the new pads and he was backing up and he had to go in? Yeah, but he he was comfortable. I, I talked with yeah. him at the time and he was comfortable and ready to play in them if that happened. So, yeah. um, you know, and he kept wearing them. So, you know, it is interesting, uh, you know, seeing him in Vancouver, I'll never forget during the lockout, uh, the one one year where all the players kind of, they had a dressing room at UBC. They had regular skates out there. Corey was one of the guys. And then there was a point where UBC needed the ice for something. So they had to move to a different rink. So instead of having their own locker room, they had to take their stuff home. I swear to God, there was a day he must've walked out of there with five or six sets of pads because all these companies were trying to make him something that was, he was comfortable in and vice versa. Like Vaughn has tried to make him a glove that feels as good to him as the CCM gloves go. So I I really admire, and I guess, again, that's why I was surprised. I admire how much he's stuck with what he knows works. Um, and yet, as he talked about, he recognized the need to maybe try some new things. I remember once he switched to a one-piece skate, he was with the Devils, came through Vancouver. He went to a no-cowling skate and just happened, like total fluke. He happened to be comfortable with it enough to wear it into a game, that game where I'm watching in Vancouver. And then he comes up for the second period and he's back to his old Bauer Cowling. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And just, again, he, he felt good in practice, but all of a sudden game was a different thing and he switched right back to what he was comfortable in. So um, he understands he needs the tech and he wants to, like you said, a little lighter, a little faster, a little more powerful. He'll look for all those edges, but you got to be comfortable in it, right? You're a freak if you notice that. Like during the game, you're you're a true freak. Well, I mean, I just watch the goalies, right? Like I'm, I'm technically there to cover the whole. I mean, I come, I am covering the game, but I'm kind of geeking out on the goalies a little bit. Are you? Uh, do you? Uh, does it bother you if you don't have matching gloves to your pads? Are you? Are you one of those? guys? I used to be, and now I use the Vaughn gloves and the CCM pads, uh, which 
I, I thought would be an issue just from, from matching, but I don't even think about it anymore. Are you, are you, what are you like? Well, I mean, it's a good thing Hutch isn't on this podcast. He'd tell you that I'm like a bit of a, bit of a fashion queen. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I didn't know that, but I, Oh, I, I, I exude that too. I, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, when you, when you get as much stuff as we have, um, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you, you tend to sort of wear things that match cause you have a lot of options. Pretty blessed, uh, through in yes. goal to have all this gear. I just got a new twig that arrived today from CCM that just happens to match the brand new CCM eFlex four that we're trying out right get now. Out. Yeah, no. So it's, uh, you know, matching colors and everything. So we are so spoiled. And so, yeah, I probably match most of the time. Um, you know, but it's interesting as I've tried all these things there, there are certain pieces from certain companies where I might, you know, if I, if I had my druthers, you know, this pad, that glove, this blocker, that stick, right? Like, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe one day we'll have to put together a list of if I could pick one piece, what would it be for each element? Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll save that one for another day. Theme. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, CCM gloves is what uh, Corey Schneider wears. A nice springboard to this week's gear segment, spending some time with the twig, Woody. Yeah, no, a new Eflex 4 stick. Um, really, as we talked with Cam at the hockey shop and I got to hang out with him and go over it, uh, it's all about flex. And this is a trend that we saw in foam core right before everybody started switching. And we actually, I, I the, the company I credit uh, to is is Warrior. Uh, they had, I believe it was a Swagger. I want to see say ST, and I hope I've got that right because we got a few. And man, like when you leaned, Darren, that paddle, like it would bow. You know, you think of Brett Hall taking his slapper, right? Like, yeah. So it had a... Pat- re- Patrick Liney. Yeah, Let that, that right yeah, now. that big whip and and uh, yeah, I guess I dated myself with a Brett Hall reference, eh? <laughs> um, so it, it had that real bow, and and obviously the benefit there is if you're a goalie that you know it just that little bit of an easier flex, you can sort of snap the puck. And guys were talking about, yeah, you know, if I lean on it the same way I would my old stick, I could you know instead of to the blue line, it'll go to center and just a little more power for guys that some like some don't right like some guys don't want it to be that whippy they want a stiff stick um but we're finally starting to see that translated into the composite sticks uh, i thought that bowers 2s pro uh with the sort of had the um the shaft was really thin and had a sort of like a like basically a stick going right through the shaft and i'm brain cramping on the technical name for the tech um, and now with CCM eFlex, they've got a, a material called the Negra uh, carbon running through the paddle. And the difference in the flex is noticeable. There's a bunch of guys in the NHL that have been using it uh, as an eFlex for this year. There were a bunch of guys last year that were experimenting with it, skinned as a premier stick. Uh, it's you know part of this trend of goalies moving towards composite sticks in the NHL. And you know, I, I, to me, it gives you an option in the CCM family. Not every not every goalie is going to like it. Uh, Merrick Mazanik was here in Vancouver. They sent him one. He found it too whippy. So for him, it's the premier, right? Something a little more sturdy. But if you want that little extra bow, that little extra flex, uh, eFlex 4 is going to be a, a really good option for you. And we talked about it with Cam. Welcome back to the basement. The lower floor of the hockey shop source for sports in Surrey, a little slice uh, of goalie heaven, as we call it every week. Um, back here with Cam Matwiv 
And this week, as we go over a line that's launching, we've already talked about the CCM Eflex 4 line, which launches on April 26th, this Friday. And you'll have a full selection here in the hockey shop, uh, Source for Sports in Surrey, as well as online at thehockeyshop.com. But in addition to pads and gloves, a new twig, the Eflex 4 stick. Let's just start. Let's let you walk us through some of the key features of this stick and what sort of separates it from the Premier line uh, and some of the new materials behind it, Cam. Yeah, so I mean, a, a bit of a story behind it first is like the whole reason this deck came about is that they're, you know, CCM's pros getting, getting feedback and whatnot. They wanted a softer, more flexible composite stick. Their challenge was to, again, kind of create that same whip shot you get out of um, a, a foam core stick. But, you know, you get that durability aspect and that rigidness out of a composite stick. So what I'm staring at in front of me seems to have achieved and from early feedback from uh, a couple of our own guys um, testing it out themselves, they, they seem to echo uh, what they were looking at there. Yeah, and that flex, of course, is in the paddle. So it's in, they've used uh, what they call their Inegra material through the paddle of the stick to create basically a more flexible it's got a little more bow in it you've probably seen it on our instagram we'll have new ones up this week uh or check back you know about a month ago when, when it first sort of we first sort of got our hands on it noticeable you lean on this thing and it bends uh, it was a trend that i think we saw in foam core right before foam core started disappearing uh full credit to warrior actually i think it was one of their might have been the Swagger line that was one of the last ones we tested at Ingoal. It had some really good bow to it. And we had tester feedback that kind of said, like, listen, because of this flex, you know, like the same flex, the same amount of effort, I'm getting an extra zone out of it. If it goes to the top of the circles, I can get it to the blue line. If it's a blue line flex, I can get it out to center ice. Like just a little more zip with a little less effort, a little bit of that flex feel to sort of snap forward passes. And we kind of wondered how long it would be before we saw it um, show up in a composite stick. And that's the goal here, the CCME Flex 4. And as you've seen, if you've seen the pictures of us sort of leaning into it a little bit, and based on the early testing that you guys have had here at the hockey shop, it seems like they've hit that chord with the Inegra paddle. Correct, correct. Um, a couple of the other features uh, worth calling out on the stick. Um, you see their Sigmatex material uh, returned back. This will now be the shaft of the Flex 4 stick. Um, you see that all over in the Premier 2, which creates a stiff stick all the way throughout. And again, having it only in the uh, shaft of the stick here on the E-Flex 4, that allows them to use their Inegra material in the paddle to create that softer flex. And into the blade, a stiffer material as well. Again, sort of a mix of different materials. Flex through the paddle to get you that zip and stiffness through the shaft and into the blade to maintain that durability. So a blend, the best of both worlds, if you will. That's correct. So we will have actually a few uh, custom colors up on our website. Um, one more thing before we get to the custom colors, because one new feature that I haven't seen many talk about, it's rounded up top now. If you've noticed the shaft, not, not hugely rounded, but the edges are rounded around the edges compared to before. They're not as sort of squared off. Again, the idea being puck impact up there, which has been an issue with all composites. Um, puck impact leading to damage. I get just a little less corner material to absorb that by rounding it. Uh, they feel they've increased the durability. That's correct. It, it's definitely a nice call out. And it, honestly, it feels a little bit better in your hand. It does, too, doesn't it? Because it doesn't yeah. cut into it almost as much. 
Um, also- you mentioned custom colors. Let's go to the yes. custom because uh, we've had it on our – that's another one we've had on the social media. We had about five or six different colors sort of popping through, um, but there are a plethora, and they they really jump off the page when you look at them in the catalog. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you've seen some of the, again, the stock pictures that have come up. Um, we've gone ahead and done up some of our own, which will be on the wall a little bit later after launch. Um, April 26th. That's exactly when I'll have stock color sticks. So stock color sticks. I won't have my customs yet. That said, if you want custom immediately, we can order that no problem. And that way you can choose whatever colors you want. They have very nice minimums, which is only of three sticks total. Um, you get a chance to uh, change your colors. You got four different color zones you can pick from. You got, mm, honestly, you get 12 different color options. Um, you got about another four different blade options in terms of for the curve you're looking for. You can also uh, switch up your shoulder. You can either have it a regular or a bit of a steep kind of angle like you see on Price's stick. Um, and obviously you get to put your name on it. Yeah, and uh, the colors, like I said, like uh, they were somewhat limited with the Premier Stick, but way more options in the custom program. As you mentioned, the other change, in the past you've had to order six at a time to get your own sort of full custom, you know, tip to tail. Choose your blade, choose your pattern, choose your shoulder, choose your colors, get your name on it. Uh, with the E-Flex 4 Stick, that's down to a minimum of three orders. So if you think you need three sticks, you can. You might as well get them full custom and order a package of three and basically choose how you want it. And of course, they can contact you at the Hockey shop source for sports come into the hockey shop uh, here in surrey source for sport in surrey online at the hockey shop.com or call 604-589-8299 and talk to cam to get your custom options let's go quickly through the rest of the line because you know a lot of people as we get there are still people who wonder about foam core um, we know about the premier lines that's going to make the, you know that's last year's line continues through as a stiffer option if you want it um, but the next level down in the E-Flex 4 is actually a foam core stick. That is 100% correct. And it's it's not, a, to be honest, a whole lot different from what you've seen in the past. Um, they're basically sandwiching together a couple price points to create this mid-range level stick. Um, you're seeing some of the tech and spec from the old E-Flex 3 Pro stick, um, foam core stick, um, and also their 3.9 put together and you've created now a better mid-range price point stick, which you can also custom order as well. Right, and so, but if you're a guy that, or a girl that still wants, I mean, heavier, but want that feel of a foam core stick, it's still available. And as you said, because it's no longer the top end in the E-Flex line, it comes at an actual even better price point. Yes, exactly. All right, so the new E-Flex 4 stick available for custom orders April 26th, which by the time you hear this um, will pretty much be upon you. Uh, you can check it out at thehockeyshop.com. They'll take custom orders now, Cam will. Uh, thehockeyshop.com, the hockey shop source for sports here in Surrey. Uh, check it out. Uh, they will have all your options for E-Flex 4 when, it's launched on, when it launches on April 26th, including the new stick. Cam, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, you're going to be busy when this product launches. I think there'll be people flooding to the basement to uh, check it out. I'm going to have to leave a bouncer at the door. Well, if you can get your own head through the door by that point. <laughs> I got a bigger helmet. All right. We're growing, we're growing the ego and the reputation here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Camp. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Kevin. CCM E-Flex 4, the stick, and uh, we'll get to some other twigs uh, down the road, but that's the first stick that we've uh, 
really taken a hard look at on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, Corey Schneider uses the CCM gloves. Uh, the Americans will suit up against Slovakia in a couple of weeks of the World Championship. And Schneider will attempt to become the latest Devils goaltender to star on the international scene, something that was started way back when by Sean Burke in the late 80s. Sean will be our In Goal feature guest next week as we ease him in with a listener question. Let's bring back... Woody. So this one comes from Dylan Hossein, and he works as an off-ice official in Ontario, California. And his questions about goaltender development. We thought it'd be perfect for you, Sean, because you know, obviously working on the management side of thing as well as as a coach. And his question it loosely involves Cal Peterson. I won't ask you to talk about him specifically, but he's had a year where he's played it incredibly at times, had success in the NHL. But the numbers, probably in part because of the team in front of him, haven't been there in the American League. So without talking about him specifically, how much of a challenge can that be for a young developing goaltender when you're sort of focusing on developing your game, but the statistics aren't there? Are there guys you came across in your career where maybe sometimes the focus was too much on the stats, and how do you get past that? Two things about that. One, um, it's changed. Because if you really if you really look back, go back and look at Patrick Waugh's statistics, look at Ron Hextall's, look at mine in junior hockey. Um, you know, in those days, again, it wasn't really based as much on statistics. We didn't have as many at our disposal. People didn't focus on them. You know, we didn't have the internet every day to look at. So the challenge for young goalies is that there is there is a perception now. Um, that really does come from your statistics. So they are important to a degree. But I do think that more importantly, at the end of it all, you know, people, people who really watch the game and who are, who are going to be the ones making the decision at the end of the day understand that that only tells a small part of the story. So as a player, your focus really needs to be on working on your game. And it has to be the details. Those are, those are the things that sometimes uh, are hard to focus on when you're losing, uh, your numbers don't look good, you're chasing it a little bit, but ultimately you have to be really consistent with your game and, and working on the details day in and day out. There's no, there's no easy answer to it. There's no magic formula. Um, the numbers do tell a story, but again, it, in this game at that level, and I've watched Cal Peterson play a lot. I, I watched him in LA. I watched him in Ontario. He was better in people's eyes in LA because his numbers were better, but ultimately his numbers were better because he's playing in the NHL where things were more consistent. Uh, he, he reads the play. Well, you get down to the American league. They didn't have a very good team. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, the, the short answer, uh, I guess the long answer um, is there's no there's no easy there's no easy solution. You have to, as a goaltender, focus on your the details and work at your game and and try to block those numbers out. I'm looking forward to everybody hearing uh, Sean because uh, he's done a thousand interviews, but it's just different when you, when you're talking about your bread and butter and goaltending and uh, and he 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 was. Uh, I don't know, infectious with with his enthusiasm and look forward to hearing him next week in the feature interview. Oh, one of my favorites all time. Uh, it's funny, I was going through past interviews with him and different articles we'd written at InGoal at NHL.com over the years. Uh, 
a real trait. Like I, Corey's one of those guys too, right? You, you, we heard it today. Yeah, he'll geek out with you, right? Like he, he, and he sent me a text message after the interview thanking us for the interview because it's nice when he can talk to guys who understand and talk and have the passion for the position that he does. And Sean to me is one of those guys. So make sure you tune in next week, everyone. Um, we went a long time with Sean and it's not just goaltending. Um, it's, it's his path off the ice, uh, as a goalie coach into management. Yeah. We have a little guitar jam with Garth Brooks that he talks about. I mean, a little tidbit about maybe being asked to be the captain of a team as a goalie once himself, you know, some things that, you know, I'm sure a lot will be new to a lot of our listeners uh, for a guy who has been one of the greats and, and still continues to be one of the great interviews when it comes to goaltending. So, so a little inside baseball stuff. Uh, we had Corey Schneider on hockey central at noon, uh, maybe a year ago, two years ago. And I asked him about that eye exercise or that eye thing that he was doing during a TV timeout. And this is a total credit and absolute uh, props to you and and Hutch for Ingol and what you guys have done here. But I asked him uh, about the eye thing on on the radio TV program, and he didn't know what I was talking about. Said he didn't know what I was talking about, and did basically didn't want to talk talk about it. Now, having seen it, and I wish I had the tape of it. I'd show everybody. It's hard to to imagine you not knowing what what what's going on. But he just he wasn't with his brethren on that hockey uh, hockey central at noon interview today in this episode he was and and that is that's just props to you guys man i think that's i think that's props to the goalie union right like um when i started writing about this stuff with ian clark when he had me editing his magazine and i started basically learning the language of goaltending started playing myself it's you know we just it is at times a different position within the sport of hockey. It comes with its own language. It comes with its own, you know, exercises. As we talked with Maria Mountain last week about that, how you have to train differently. Everything we do is different. And so when you start speaking their language, whether it's media or in an environment casual like this on a podcast, um, to them, it's a little refreshing. Like these are conversations they don't have every day with other media. They don't, you know, have every day even within the locker room outside of maybe their playing partner and their backup, right? So... Uh, I, it's, I think it's a real credit to the shared passions of goaltenders from peewee to pro, the fact that they don't change. And that's what I love about the podcast. We, we get to share that with, you know, some really big names and yet the things that combine us all are the same as goaltenders, no matter what level or where you are in your career. And it's, uh, man, it was a fun one today and it's going to be a fun one next week and, uh, really enjoying this. Andy Fest, you know what I want to do? I, I want to put you on the ice with a yellow blocker, a blue glove or trapper. Do people still call them trappers? I call them trappers, but I don't, I don't know. Do they still, most people call them gloves. They still call them back catchers. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry about that. But Kevin Quinn yelled at me one night on the air uh, because I called it a back catcher, and I've never forgot it. So uh, you were the first person in 12 years who I've been able to call on that. So I'm going to put you in a yellow blocker, a blue glove, and uh, how about how about green pads I, at Tandy Fest? I, I, and I want to see if you break out in hives. It, it, it might happen. It might happen. I might just or I might just play goal like I normally play goal, which would be about as funky <laughs> as breaking out in hives too. Uh, you're awesome. You're uh, you, you got a great sense of humor. Uh, thanks to uh, to Corey Schneider, uh, Cam over at the hockey shop, and uh, Sean Burke, uh, and to you for listening and supporting us. If you like what you've heard and you want to say thanks. Write us a note 
or pay a visit to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, and thehockeyshop.com. You will not be disappointed in the product selection. And guess what? Their service is even better than that. It's second to none. For Hutch and Woody, I'm Darren Millard. Let the world be your crease. You protect it. You pick the right times to be aggressive and know the bad breaks do happen. So, like on the ice, do a reset. Get ready for the next challenge. It's a motto, but it's also reality. So, be great.